0: Father, we thank you for your word. The great love story of how you pursued us. Even when we were your enemies, you came to rescue us. God, this has been a crazy week with the storms and sickness and many in our Hope Point family have been impacted. And God, we need to hear from you this morning. We need your word. So I thank you for the man, our brother Richard, that you've raised up today to to teach us from your word. God, would you speak through him? You've laid something incredible on his heart, and I pray, God, that you use him as your vessel and your instrument to speak your truth. Lord, prepare our hearts for what you want to teach us. We know that we're here for a reason. You don't do anything by accident. So we thank you, Lord, for this time that we can be together. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Last
1: um, Sunday at the end of the service, I was chatting with our college friends in the first couple rows, and most of them are from nearby. But one of the students last week was from Clemson and I greatly enjoyed chatting with him because that's where I attended from 79 to 83 and I'm always impressed with somebody who's able to get into Clemson. It's the hardest school in the world to get into. The average SAT I think is like 1900 and um, I was a business major at Clemson and I enjoyed finding out that he was a business major and not so much that business was going to be the, you know, the set of tracks that my train was going to go down the rest of life but It was outside Serene Hall where the business classes were held that I really first met God uh, in my college years. It's the first time I ever bought a copy of the New Testament and began to read the Bible every day, seeing the beauty of God, knowing who He is, knowing His mind and His heart, and knowing His great love for people, and knowing that anybody's sins could be forgiven through the central message of the New Testament, which was the the shed blood of of Jesus Christ. When we um, when we gathered in 02 to talk about forming a church, I I told the, the crowd of uh, small crowd of seven families that we were with that uh, my strategy for however many years it was going to be, and of course that's seventeen now, was never going to be anything other than teaching the Bible. And I said that that's all I've got. And and it's funny, I really can't imagine me standing on stage and doing anything, having anything anything else. I I don't really, I'm not, I I wouldn't have any wise counsel. I'm not a a student of philosophy. And uh, all I would have to say is the Bible. And really, to be honest with you, admitting that all you've got to do uh, as a Bible teacher is the the Word of God is really an act of humility. It's weird describing yourself as humble. But it, it is an act of humility to just say, I don't know what you need. I don't know what you need. But God does. And if I just say what He says, then He will meet your needs. I remember when we started the church, we had a big article on the, the startup and the, the paper asked me about what we were going to do to reach the city. I said what I just said. And the end of the article said, and Pastor Smith says, he does not know what Spartanburg needs. Oh, <laughs> I mean, the next line was, but God does, <laughs> and they left it off. So, so I don't know what you need, but I know that God knows, and He will meet you in the Word. One of the greatest spiritual movements in the history of the world outside of the resurrection um, is the Protestant Reformation that happened in Europe in the 16th century. And uh, Martin Luther was the man that God chose to, you know, to be the lead uh, to lead lead voice in that Reformation movement. And um, at that time, the Word of God could only be read in Latin. And uh, none of the German peasants knew Latin. So he translated the Bible into the common language of the people in in Germany. And uh, when they saw who God was and what he had said, revival broke out throughout the continent. And later Luther was asked about his role that he played in the Reformation, and this was his reply. I simply taught, preached, wrote God's Word. Otherwise, I did nothing. The Word did it all. For the past few weeks, we've been looking at your your walk with God, your relationship with God, and have said that you really are going to, your, your, your soul, the strength of your soul is going to rise and fall depending on your prayer life. And so we emphasized that for a couple of weeks, and now what we want to say is the strength of your soul and the joy of your soul is going to rise and fall on your reading of the Bible alongside of your praying. So this week and next week, we're going to say that. So I want you to know why we at Hope Point, whether it's me teaching or Dan, someone else, why we... So earnestly, teach the Bible, and there's seven reasons of what we believe about the Bible. It's over two weeks. You can see them again next week if you don't have to worry about being OCD and writing it all down. It's living. It's transformed. The Bible's living. It's transformative. It's confrontational. It's unavoidable. It's life-changing. It's enduring. And it's illuminating. So we'll just look at those one at a time. The first today is its living, as Brian read just a moment ago, Hebrews four, twelve. For the word of God is living and active. Not every time do I need to bring in a Greek word or two, but it's pretty fun in this one. The word "living" in verse twelve is from the word "zoe." Um, from we, we 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 get the word "zoo." It's a place of life. The largest zoo and. In, in the United States, one of the largest in the world is in San Diego. Three million people visit there every year to smell and see and hear life. And they go there to see things that crawl and creep and walk and fly. They, they go there to see life. Now, if you want to go to a place where animals... Never climb and crawl and, sl- and swim and slither and walk and fly. They never move at all. You go to the Museum of Natural History in Washington, D.C. The animals never move. Zoe, life, the Bible pulses with the life of God. And so when the scripture says that the, the Word of God is living and active, it doesn't mean there's anything sacred. About the leather cover or the feather pages of the Bible. But it does mean that every time I open the Bible and begin to read, I am listening to God. There's, there's no other book you can read where you're reading the book and the author is right there with you. Our, our staff just went through a book on a great book on prayer, and I shared many of those concepts with you a lot of times people ask me as I'm going up to preach and and who are you plagiarizing this week well I'll tell you who I plagiarized during the the prayer series a lot I got a lot of great help wisdom from Paul Miller so we wrote his organization said you know maybe would you like to we've loved your book would you like to come to a prayer seminar and he said I'll send one of my people because he can't be everywhere his book is But God can, whether it's Starbucks um, and a student center, whether it's your kitchen table, a rock on the side of the mountain. You pick up this and God sits down beside you, the author. That's what it means that the Word of God is living. I love how John Piper says this, and we'll probably look at this more extensively next week in a beautiful video. This is how the video begins. God wrote a book, pages and pages of God, his thoughts, his words, his heart, right there, just a few inches away, God, God wrote a book every day, no matter where I am, I can open the Bible and meet with God, second reason, we teach the Bible earnestly, joyfully, vigorously, is the Bible is transformative. Again, verse 12, for the word, now the end of it, the word of God is living and active. Again, the Greek is a little helpful. comes from, the word active comes from the Greek word energes, from which we get our word energy. That's what I love about the Bible. When you read it, the author sitting next to you, and you look at a cool verse that you may have underlined, circled, double, blocked, Or whatever, and you look at it and you say, God, help that be true in my life. The author imparts his energy, his life, into your body at that moment. So, gives you the energy to obey what you are reading. Now, there is a way to read the Bible and get that uh, sort of interaction with God. And then there are ways that you will not get that. Because you're just reading too fast. You don't really, you're just not really trying to meet with anybody. You're just saying, I've got to read four chapters today. Why would you would pick that number? You're, you're there to meet with God. So the way that you read in order to meet with God is through meditation as you're reading. Psalm 119, I could have picked 100 verses in the Bible to use this word. Maybe almost, 100, not 100 verses in that chapter, but a lot. Oh, how I love your law, I... Here's the secret of Bible reading. Meditate on it all day long. Thomas Watson said years ago, the reason we come away so cold from reading the Word is because we do not warm ourselves at the fire of meditation. Now, when I talk about meditation, I'm not talking about you striking some yoga pose. And, you know, sort of Eastern meditation involves emptying your mind what a biblical meditation involves filling your mind you 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 stop long enough to fill your mind with with God i read a great article this week on meditation just trying to be able to say it differently and the author began by saying what in the world did people do at night before there was TVs to zone out to, or uh, phones that are permanently attached to your hand and always flicking through. Th- What'd you do? What did people do without TVs and phones? Well, they answered. He answered it. it this is talking about the son of Abraham. His name was Isaac. This is what he did at night. Pre-phone, he went out to the field one evening to. Meditate that must have been hard. you get I mean he's like sitting there, man, if I had a phone. I could take a selfie a selfie of me meditating, and then' post it and see every ten minutes how many likes I got on me meditating. but that's what people used to do. they used to stop and pause and ponder, and that's what. That's what meditating means. It means I'm going to not rush. I'm going to pause, and I'm going to ponder. You know, the Hebrew word for meditate, is, it comes from a word, the Hebrew word, which means to chew the cud. It's a picture of a cow bringing previously eaten food back up and letting it roll around on his tongue. And it's sort of a cool pre-lunch thought. <laughs> That's meditation is letting Scripture roll around in your mind, thinking, pondering, and asking questions. And it is the secret, God said, to your success in life, as He told the the man who would follow Moses in the leading of two and a half million people. He said, this is what you need to do. You need to learn how to meditate. Joshua one, God said to him, "Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it, ponder, think. How's this plot of my life, day and night, so that when you may be careful to do everything written in it. So when I'm meditating, or just this is the kind of things you're thinking about. You say, "What, what do I need to be thinking about while I'm meditating? Just ponder as you're reading these verses. Ponder in these verses about God's beauty, about His." Power, ponder His holiness and His love. Ponder what are His purposes for me. How should I live? How should I use my mind, my body? What should I go after? What should I run from? Is there a sin to confess? I mean, for the joy of removing guilt is so good to have, it, have that weight taken off you. Lord, is there something here that you have pointed out needs to, I need to confess to you? Or what's your purpose for me? How I'm, what am I to do in the world? The larger questions outside of my own career, family, city, house. How am I to function in the world? Ask these questions as you are pondering over Scripture. And make sure that in all of your meditations on Scripture that you, you need to know the aim of all Bible reading is to enjoy Jesus Christ. This is the purpose of the book. It's like all of the Old Testament is a spotlight, (laughs) just like these lights are shining on me. All of the spotlights of the Old Testament are shining on Jesus. All of the spotlights of the New Testament are shining on Jesus, that you might enjoy Him and see Him as the magnificent King that He is. And it's so possible to read the Bible and miss Jesus. It's so possible that the, the experts in Jesus' day did that very thing, and He told them, called them out on it. John 5, 39, you, teachers, study the scriptures diligently because you think that reading the Bible will give you life. It will not. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. So you read the Bible to have life in the wonderful person of Jesus. In 1976, Bruce Waltke who headed up for a long time, that organization, walked through the Bible, was commissioned with a whole bunch of people in a new translation of the Bible. I think it was the NIV. And um, so he was assigned the book of Proverbs. And they worked for 12 hours a day, five days a week, his little group, just on Proverbs. That's 60 hours in the book of Proverbs. And he says when he was finished, he was farther away from the Lord than when he started. Because it was just sheer academic work. Not reading to see Jesus. The purpose of all Bible reading is to enjoy Jesus more. Let me tell you why meditation is so important. And I think this next quote is worth coming to church for today. I hope it will begin to change your life about, well, why, why, why is my life maybe off track? The more you meditate on something the more you love it. That was massive to me this week. A breakthrough. The more you meditate on something, the more you love it. And I mean, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, you'll love what you meditate on. This is why pornography is so incredibly destructive. Because when you, that's what you do. You're meditating on this image and the more you meditate on it, you love that don't love your spouse and don't love your god cuz you're meditating on that's just why bitterness is so destructive you are meditating on the person that you don't like so you are actually increasing your love of hating cuz you're meditating on hate so you'll love hate more it's why the pursuit of money is so damaging throughout scripture is because the more that you just meditate on making more and more and keeping more and more and spending more and more the more you meditate on that the more that you love it instead of god so equally important of that statement the more you meditate on something the more you love it this is goes right along with it. What you meditate on reveals what you love. Do you want to know what you love in this room today? It's easy. What do you meditate on? That's what you love. Maybe a third statement to go with this. The more you meditate on God, the more you will love God. Maybe a fourth statement. And the more that you love God, the less you will love sin. I'm, I'm telling you, everybody in this room that's, that I've had personal conversations with will be honest with me. You know, all of us have particular sins. It's just like that is the thing that could bring me down. And, and, and it seems so difficult, so almost impossible at times when you're first dealing with that. I can't ever be free from that. I promise you, you can Because what happens is when this sin has become an addiction or a stronghold in your life, it's because you've been meditating on it, and therefore you love it. And if you would find something that's more beautiful, more attractive, and you meditate on that, namely God, then that which you used to meditate on will become far less attractive and appealing and persuasive. That's how you defeat sin, is just find, as Thomas Chalmers says, a a more, a better promise. So so that's a benefit of meditation. The next benefit of meditation on Scripture is what it does to your prayer life. We talked about prayer, and over the past few weeks, you probably still really don't know what to say to God. I tell you, meditate on Scripture, and you'll never run out of things to say to God. Prayer is our response to God in light of what He has revealed to us in His Word. So God speaks to us through the Word. We speak back to Him through prayer. And that's how you could pray about all bunches of things that you used to not even were aware of is you see this thing in the scripture and and then you 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 just you just fling it back to God. And so in other words, like when I'm reading the Bible and I mean I read my Bible with a like a a blue pen and a red pen and a yellow highlighter orange. I have crayons. I have crayons because I felt they don't go through the pages. You, I have all sorts of colors of crayons and and so I'm marking things and as I mark them I just say God that is cool you are amazing and I'm just see, I'm just praying as I'm reading and and then I'll, I'll see something about like you know without holiness no one will see the Lord and I'll you know I'll get my black highlighter no I won't and no don't do that no black highlighter I get the yellow highlighter and say God You know, I really am still struggling. And you were so honored by holiness. This is not holy. And just talk to Him as you are meditating on on Scripture. But God has given us the Bible that we will know how to pray. A third reason that uh, we vigorously, joyfully, earnestly teach the Bible around here is the Bible is confrontational. Hebrews 4.12 Sharper than any double-edged sword... It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word penetrate in verse 12 comes from a Greek word which means to cut with a single chop. I know that Todd Curry's been very busy following the storm this week with chopping through all the trees that have fallen through the city that people are calling him about and what the Word of God does when you read it, it chops and immediately severs things that used to be so strong in your life. A man who used to be proud and arrogant, all of a sudden chop, and all of a sudden he says, I've got nothing to boast in but God. A man who used to would want public attention and uh, you know, say, I, 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 I like people thinking that I'm good, uh, he's, that, he shuns that idea now because he realizes, I've got sin in my life, I don't want people praising me for my goodness. I want to praise God for His goodness. With a single chop, all of a sudden, you know, one day, you, you're just greedy, and you're holding on to it, and you chop, and you see where it's more blessed to give than receive, and you say, man, I've got God's money in my bank account. I need to give. Chop, give. That's, that's what the Bible does. It, it chops and, and and you know when you're reading, you know what you often what people often see is they see, "Oh my goodness, I have neglected to love Jesus for the cross." When they start reading the New Testament, they just realize, I've neglected how magnificent Jesus is and his sacrifice. This is what happened to me at Clemson. I fell in love with the cross, and I love teaching about the atoning, redeeming power of the blood of Christ because of what happened to me in my daily Bible reading at Clemson. But this is a very powerful verse. And this is why a lot of people don't read the Bible. They don't want to be exposed. They don't want to see what's inside. So they stay away from the Bible and they stay away from church. I was listening to an interview this week, uh, two weeks ago is when I first heard it. So I re-listened to it, listened to it a few times. It was so interesting. The host was... Uh, Danica Patrick, race car driver Danica, and she's evidently got a radio show, and she was interviewing uh, Aaron Rodgers, quarterback for Green Bay, and I, I think they the girlfriend and boyfriend. But so I was really expecting this thing to be biased and like not deep, like she's just going to compliment him. What she did was she asked him, "Why'd you leave religion? Why did you leave the church?" Why did you leave the traditional faith? And um, his answer, this is a quote from the interview. He said, rules and regulations and binary systems don't really resonate with me. Now, he uses the word binary a lot in that interview. and uh, He just confused me with the use of it. I don't really didn't know what it meant. And it's important to him as why he's rejecting the faith. It's because of all these binary systems. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, binary means categories. So for him, he doesn't like categories that the Bible speaks of and Bible teachers in the church would speak of. And Dana, Patrick asked him to elaborate that. And he said things like this. Yeah, categories. People are saved or unsaved. That is either holy or unholy. You're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. See, I don't like categories. I don't like binary systems. So basically he says, he saw in his mind that rules, Bible precepts, you know, are unnecessary, that a moral, religious framework that sets forth guiding principles, rules, are unnecessary. And he goes on to say that he doesn't really believe that anybody has the right to establish a moral, religious construct, framework that other people should conform to. He says nobody has the right to do that. I'm thinking Hebrews 4.12. God does. Here's where I really was helped with understanding why that's not good thinking. It wasn't in that interview, but I read other people who talked about the interview. And this, these three paragraphs come from a guy named Derek Dishmay. And I thought he had a great perspective on the whole Danica Patrick Aaron Rodgers' interview and his not liking binary categories, rules. You'd think, of all people, a professional athlete like Rodgers would appreciate the way rules and regulations give meaning since they've been the key to his success. Without the order and structure of rules, all the running Throwing and hitting would be meaningless chaos. The rules are also the boundaries within within which the game can be safely played. So the rules are for your safety and meaning in all sport. They give meaning to the sport. It should be clear how this process applies to our moral and spiritual life off the field. Yes, yes. I grant you, because some of you have already beat me to that, rules are bad. Rules can be abused, but without them, spiritual or moral life descends into a narcissistic game of Calvin ball where we are just making it up, where we're just making it up as we go to suit our own interest, no matter the cost, to everyone else. So when you say there are no rules, that means you're making up the rules and even if it hurts someone else, you can say, well, these are my my rules. So let me be clear. If this is your first time to hope point, the goal of Christianity is not a bunch of rules. The goal of Christianity is to hear the guiding Precepts of God out of His wise, loving mouth. Sovereign God saying, here you'll find life, here you'll find pain. And I really think the thing that breaks my heart most about Aaron Rodgers is he didn't understand that all of the rules All of the precepts, the laws, the statutes from God in the Bible are to help him see and enjoy Jesus. It's the reason for the utterances of God. G.K. Chesterton said, All my life I have loved edges. He said this in his biography. All my life I have loved edges. This was a funny quote to me. All my life I have loved edges. Then he said, And the boundary lines that bring one thing sharply against another. Another. This is what Scripture does. It makes the edges clear, the boundary lines, where in this boundary line is safety and joy. Going outside of that boundary line is pain. Nobody proved that more than Adam and Eve. God gave them one boundary line, a tree, and said if you go beyond this tree, you know what I mean, Like, stay here, not this tree, And Adam and Eve listened to the serpent, millions have since then, who said, nobody has the right to turn this into a binary system of categories of right and wrong. Nobody has that right, is what the serpent told Adam and Eve. Can't be categories of right and wrong. And so they went beyond the boundaries. And I love this thought that I read this week, by going, see, outside boundaries, by going after everything, they came away with nothing. It's what happens when you live without boundaries. Let me just share this beautiful passage of Scripture that I love. It's my favorite passage in the Scripture about proving or showing how the Bible is for the purpose of joy. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. This is from Psalm 19. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. They are more precious than gold, they are sweeter than honey. By them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. I'm telling you, when I started reading my Bible at Clemson and my eyes were open to to the Creator that loved me, man, I started smelling trees on the campus as I would walk to classes. God, that tree smells good. I can still smell the trees on the campus of Clemson because my eyes were open. My joy was increased every day. Every day was a new gift because of reading about God and His Scripture. Finally, why do we teach the Bible with joy and vigor? Is unavoidable. Hebrews 4.12, Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered. Uh, unclothed, literally. Everything is uncovered. and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. That phrase laid bare, uh, interesting word. If you were charged with a crime in a Roman court and uh, you stood before the judge and you made a decision not to look at the judge, a Roman centurion would come and from his armor pull a little knife and gently put it under your chin and make you look up at the judge. That's what the word laid bare means. It means you're going to have to look at God. He so loves you. you. Spend your life looking away from Him, living in the kingdom of noise, not having to deal with Him. He so loves you. He says, I want to forgive you. I want to help you. I want to love you. Look at me. And he uses the word of God. He uses the word of God to say, Richard, look at me. Richard, let me help you. Let me free you. Let me cleanse you. Let me give you a better marriage. Let me give you more courage. Look at me. Stop looking at all your problems. Look at me. Another part of this phrase that's interesting to me is, Everything's laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Interesting. Before the eyes of him to whom we must speak a word. This is speaking about the end times. At the end times, we have to give an account. We have to have a conversation with God someday. What makes this conversation with God very interesting? <clears throat> It's not going to be a one-way conversation. He's going to be speaking too. Because if you look how verse 12 started a minute ago, it also used the word logos. It said, so for the logos of God is speaking, and one day we'll respond with our logos. One day it will be His word against our word. That's what the final day of history will be about. God having the final word to all of this world. And let me just tell you what that day is going to look like because it's it's clearly told us what happens when God speaks the final words to this world. It's described in Revelation chapter 19. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. His name is the Word of God. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Now, verses like that are what Aaron Rodgers Quarterback whom I have so much respect for and love to watch him play the game. But this, this is what bothers him. Statements like this of categories, you are saved or you were not saved. He doesn't like that kind of talk. Heaven or hell. I love this Painting. Of Jesus. I I tremble when I see this. At the thought of not being ready to meet this Jesus. I tremble at trying to hide from Him. I tremble at trying to make up excuses with my words. Of why I didn't think He was worthy to serve. I love this Picture of Jesus. But I love this picture of Jesus, majestic, on his white horse coming to end history. I love it most because of the preceding picture of Jesus on a horse. The last week of his life on earth, a week before he was nailed to a cross so that everybody in this room could have a place to dump their sins and guilt. The last week that he was live on earth was a week he also rode on the back of an animal. John 12, the next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Probably 250,000 people there in Jerusalem that week. And they took, there was thousands of people, they took palm branches and went out to meet him. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid of me. I've come to save you. I've come to die for you. I've come to forgive all of your sins. I've come to bring you into my family. I've come to bleed so that all of your heart will be clean and white as snow. I've come to give you a new spirit. Take away the old. I've come to write my name on you. I've come to put my spirit in you. I've come to walk with you until the day I take you to heaven. Don't be afraid of me. Don't be afraid of me, Hunter, Melanie, Richard. Don't be afraid of me, Storm. Don't be afraid of me, Chris. I love you. I want to help you, I want to forgive you. And this is what I love. Yes, the Jesus on the white horse of Revelation is coming, but he's not here today. Who's here today? Jesus, donkey, crucified, ready to forgive you. That's who's here today. That's coming. I want to be ready for him. But today is a day of forgiveness. There will be a day where fighting Jesus comes. Today is forgiving Jesus. No matter what you've done, what you've done. Listen, one of my great stories out of church history occurred in May of 1750. It was in the middle of the Great Awakening, one of the great movements in the New England states. And the preacher at that time through whom God was really just bringing thousands to Christ was a a British evangelist named George Whitfield. But he was here in America preaching a lot. I think he made eight trips across the Atlantic to preach. And uh, there were a group of guys. They called themselves the Hellfire Club. They met at a bar many times during the day in the middle of the Great Awakening to mock George Whitefield and his preaching. So they would stand on the table and hold up a Bible and just do nothing but mock the evangelist. Well, one day... One member of the Hellfire Club, a guy named John Thorpe, held up the Bible and turned just providentially to Luke chapter 13, 5. Unless you repent, you too will perish. And he got down off the table because of the power of the Word of God and knew that this was the day of salvation. And he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And he became one of John Wesley's most important student preachers in the Great Awakening because he realized this is the day where I can be saved and forgiven if I want to be because Jesus wants me to be. Let's pray. Father, we do believe that today is the day of salvation for someone here, someone nearby, Today today's the day where everything changes, eternity changes, their path changes and their past changes, gone, erased, covered, executed while their soul is made new and their body is filled with the spirit that will keep them safe from the wrath to come. Today is the day. Where you hold out the word of life. So, Father, I pray for all of us. We want to be filled with the life of God, a fresh and anew, a new word, a new word of hope. That you are in control of all things and you're using all storms, and you're using all job situations, you're using all marriages. You're in control, you're using all things, using all disease, all death, ultimately to lead as many as who would say yes to life. I pray, Lord, that many would say, I do. I pray that many would say, oh Christ, yes, I do. I say yes to you, Jesus. I say yes to your lordship. I say yes to your forgiveness. I say yes to your control. Yes to your laws. Yes to your love. I say yes. In Jesus' name, I place my trust. Amen.